On February 24, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. War is, of course, the domain of scholars in politics, international relations, and law. But war, or a special military operation, as one is supposed to say in Russia, also is cultural. New events require meaning-making. New stories, new symbols, new icons that allow people to make sense of what is going on in their lives. War also comes with the suppression of meanings, things that cannot be said anymore. Activities and words that suddenly become difficult, even dangerous. In the next few weeks, we will make some special episodes of this Culture and Inequality podcast that deal with culture and war. We'll speak with colleagues from the countries most directly affected by this war. This is the first of these special episodes on dark humor in times of war with Xenia from Russia and Nastya from Belarus. So welcome to this special episode of the Culture and Inequality podcast about humor and war. My name is Giselinde Kuipers, and today I'm talking to two scholars who are not only studying this topic, but also experiencing this from up close. So uh, today I'm talking to Anastya Fyadotova and Xenia Sjeligena, uh, who are respectively in Estonia and in Russia. So, Nastya, can you say something about yourself? Hello, my name is Nastya Fyadotova. I am a research fellow at the Department of Folkloristics at the Estonian Literary Museum. But as you can probably tell from my accent and also from my last name and my first name, I'm not originally from Estonia, I'm originally from Belarus. And that's why a lot of the things that I will be talking about also come from Belarus. Yes, thank you. So, Ksenia, can you say something about yourself? Um, hello, I'm Ksenia Shalikina, and um, I'm a researcher who lives and works in Russia. So I will be talking about what I've been witnessing um, from my from my home country. Yes, so uh, researchers that I both know uh, because they have a background in studying humor, which I've studied for a long time. So today is March 14. 2022. So it's two and a half weeks after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We talk about the humor that emerged on both sides of this war, but also about the limits of humor. So when is humor impossible in times of crisis? So the question that we ask today is how do people joke about this war? And more pertinently, why do people joke about it? So what functions can humor have in such extreme circumstances? And also, are there limits to humor in these extreme circumstances? And if so, which limits and why? So I'm talking about this with two scholars who, as you have heard, are very close to this war, but on different sides of what people are already calling a new Cold War. Uh, so this podcast, as some of you may recall, was originally started to keep the academic community alive in times of a crisis, although this was a crisis of public health. And today we're facing a different type of crisis, but this crisis again threatens not only the world, but also the global academic community, a community that I see not only as a community of, of colleagues, but also as a community of friends and people dedicated to uh, a common purpose, which is asking questions about the world around us, trying to understand what happens and sharing our insights with people around the world. So for me, the academic community is a global community that surpasses national boundaries. So the purpose of today's special episode is also to keep 
this academic community alive and also to support our Russian colleagues who are currently confronted with significant threats to academic freedom. And humor and freedom, as we'll see, are traditionally related in the sense that humor as a form of human expression always pushes um, boundaries of what we can think, what we can talk about, and how we can conceptualize the world. So the first question I have for both of you is, could you give me an example of um, a form of humor that you've seen um, in the past few weeks that you've especially liked? Uh, and maybe can you also explain why you like it and also what the humor is about? Because we know it's not always easy to understand humor from a different place. And I'd like to start with Xenia. Okay. Um, what humor have you seen in Russia? Well, let me start by saying that a lot of Russian people are shocked by the events. And um, also due to censorship, we don't get a lot of humor these days. Um, several social networks um, where humor has usually been shared are banned. And um, also there were several new laws um, They have been introduced recently um, to uh, put some pressure on people. And so people think twice before posting or sharing anything related to the uh, so-called special operation, which is the euphemism we are obliged to use when talking about the war. And uh, probably one joke that I should cite um, is related to this euphemistic nomination. So if the word war is now officially forbidden, should we start saying the Second World War Special Operation or the Great Patriotic Special Operation? Um, so yeah. th this joke undermines uh, Putin's efforts to justify his aggression against Ukraine. And um, yeah. I should probably also mention that um, older generations who witnessed the Second World War uh, practically never joked about it. Like my grandma never told any uh, jokes. Um, and um, I know people who were sent uh, to Afghanistan um, some, what, mm -hmm. 30 years ago. They never joke about that time. And um, I guess uh, war as, a, as the, the event is uh, way too serious to joke about. But um, as these events unfold, are unfolding, people start talking about current events with bitter irony. And um, like for almost two weeks, we had no reports on casualties, but uh, rumors do get through and um, to cope with the news, people create jokes like uh, this. Um, the head of morgue in Rostov says, thanks to Putin, Putin's extremely successful external policy, we will ha always have um, our refrigerators full. And this black humor reflects uh, mm -hmm. people's distrust in official mass media, which keep telling mm -hmm. lies. That's what we are getting now. So it's grim, dark, yeah. irony. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Nastya, can you say something about the humor that you've uncovered? So that's, that's very interesting what Ksenia has just said, because yeah. actually when I looked at the Belarusian data, uh, it turned out that um, a lot of jokes appeared already during the first hours mm -hmm. Um when the war started. And, well, we should keep in mind that Belarus is also one of the aggressors. 
so the first jokes were very, very, very green. And of course, they were very dark and uh, were mostly about uh, what the hell is going on, why Belarus is participating in this war uh, without its people knowing or wanting it. Uh, but then, uh, of course, all sorts of different jokes appeared. And uh, one of my personal favorites now uh, is the protest placard that I have spotted in Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, but I have also seen it being used in other countries. And it's a simple placard that says, Dear Putin, let's speed up to the part where you kill yourself in a bunker. So I like it because as many jokes so far, it references fascism. Uh, but unlike the jokes that explicitly uh, talk about Hitler or portray Hitler um, or swastika or something very, very recognizable, it doesn't explicitly mention uh, fascism. So it kind of relies on people's knowledge of historical events. And another thing that this joke illustrates uh, is that many of us uh, see this war from afar through the media, so we don't have an intimate experience with it. And that's why we treat it as a sort of a media program. So we want to speed, up, speed it up to the part uh, that we want to see. We don't want all these long uh, events with uh, massive killings and bombings. Uh, we just want the happy end. Uh, well, as happy as it might be. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. I think the contrast is really amazingly interesting. So I think it's something that we will turn to uh, because indeed it's also my experience that also in the different countries that I have connections with that actually a lot of humor is emerging um, are very different, sometimes very grim. So we see this in most of the sort of Western part. It's also clear that that what comes from Ukraine, strangely enough, also tends to have a very grim humor and also a very savvy use of, of media, I would say. And I think the contrast with what you say, Xenia, is really uh, surprising for me. Yeah. Um, also, because there is this sort of long understanding also of Russians using humor um, yeah, in ways to sort of comment on current situations. So this is something I really would like to uh, discuss in more detail in this podcast. Uh, so before we do this, I would like to ask both of you to, to give slightly more overview. So we now go to the general part where we first talk about the different variations in humor that you have found and then we'll talk about what sort of functions it is and then we move to what sort of limits we see uh, in this humor both in terms of what cannot be joked about uh, because it's too serious as Kenya said or too painful but also uh, what is not allowed to be joked about so what sort of control of humor we see emerging and how that might work. Um, so in general uh, and I'm starting with Nastya because I think she has the, the easier uh, answer here. So what can you say, what sort of, um, so I, I, I'm in WhatsApp group with you, Nastya, where we have been sharing with humor scholars, so we've been sharing the jokes, so I know you've been very active. And uh, um, so you chair both from Belarus, as you said, as from Estonia, and they tend to be slightly different too. So can you say something about sort of generally the sort of patterns and styles of humor that you see emerge? Uh, and also maybe how it has changed because we're now two and a half weeks already into this war or special operation as it is. So what sort of uh, things have you seen so far? So one thing is that um, 
Of course, there is a development dynamics because when the war has just started, um, many jokes are very generic, so to say, about a war in general, uh, or for example, the link between the war and, and COVID pandemic, uh, like the one some of our fellow humor scholars have shared during the first hour that, congratulations, you have survived the pandemic. Now your reward is World War III. Yeah. Uh, so this, this sort of things. Uh, but then um, as the war has developed and also uh, our knowledge about it has uh, increased and a lot of media reports came in. Uh, this war has given birth to many, many um, memes and humorous memes too. Uh, like, for example, the uh, Russian warship and the reaction of, uh, of Ukrainian border guards to it. Or, for example, uh, the gypsy still in one of the Russian tanks uh, or the Ukrainian lady uh, hitting uh, the plane uh, or a drone, was it a drone, uh, a Russian yeah. drone uh, with a, a jar of cucumbers or maybe tomatoes or <laughs> maybe something else of her home conservation. So these sort of things and uh, topics have been uh, all over Europe, at least I would say, uh, judging by the examples that we and our colleagues share in the group. Um, but also, of course, different countries have their own specific topics uh, that are connected to the war. Uh, if you take Estonia, for example, again, a lot of jokes are generic and also um, they also are in English or in Russian. And only if you are, are being translated into Estonian because Estonians speak perfect English and most of them also speak perfect Russian. Uh, but for the exceptions, there are uh, jokes um, about the similarities between the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Uh, blue and yellow and the uh, colors of one of the ruling parties. So allegedly another party is accusing this party of using this uh, Ukrainian flag for self-promotion because now, of course, um, blue and yellow are all over Estonia now. Or, for example, there is a joke uh, where a Molotov cocktail is packaged uh, in a Vanna Tallinn uh, liquor bottle, which is a very famous uh, good produced in Estonia. Um, and if we look at uh, Belarusian jokes, um, in contrast, they are much more country-specific uh, because, well, the war is very close to Belarusians. Mm -hmm. um, the missiles are flying from its territory. And so, um, like in Russia, like uh, Xenia said, there are also jokes about these euphemisms um, that uh, war cannot be uh, called a war, only a special operation. For example, there is this joke that um, there are, uh, there is no, uh, it's incorrect to say that Russia is cut off swift. It's just a financial operation yeah. by Western countries. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Senia, I'm sure you you yeah. That, yes, that, yeah. that, uh, uh, we got that one. Um, and I guess many Russians rep uh, have reproduced it, um, because, uh, they say, well, okay, the West is hep uh, helping us, um, with this special financial operation to, so yeah, it would be seem plausible that indeed that the jokes in Belarus would resemble those in Russia, right? Yeah, but there are also also jokes that are probably more about Belarus. For example, as the war started, there were also anti-war protests in Belarus, uh, and there were there was this joke after more than nine hundred people were detained um, at the protests. Uh, there was there was this um, joke as if on behalf of the press secretary of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. Yesterday, radicalists were detained in the streets of Minsk, the capital of Belarus. They were shouting Nazi and provoking slogans, such as no to war. <laughs> uh, so, 
these kind of jokes are very, very popular mm-hmm. because the situation yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. So can you say something about how you collect these jokes? So where do you find them? So, uh, well, uh, most of them come from social media accounts of, of the people who who are known for producing a lot of jokes mm-hmm. or sharing a lot of jokes. Um, and uh, also some satirical news groups um, and also um, just comic and humor groups. Uh, but mm-hmm. some of the jokes come my way through my friends and family members on mm-hmm. uh, social media who just share them with me because yeah. they know that I love jokes <laughs> and I love collecting yeah. them. And actually, what is uh, important, uh, I think, uh, in this context is that many of the Belarusians uh, that produce and share the jokes that I mentioned, uh, they had to immigrate in Belarus after the um, 2020 protests, year 2020 protests. Uh, so... Some of them, not all of them, but some of them live abroad now. And I have a question to Xenia. Have you also probably noticed um, the difference um, between how humor is being shared in Russian media or uh, Russian social media by the people who are in the country and the people who had to immigrate? Because I know that a lot of Russians also had to flee yeah. the country after the war started. And they, uh, they are fleeing now, unfortunately. Some of my friends yeah. and you know, acquaintances. Well, um, usually we shared humor via social networks like uh, the rest of the world. But um, since uh, today it's not safe, probably the only source that is more or less reliable is the uh, Russian uh, network Telegram, which um, hasn't been blocked yet. And uh, well, it's a matter Mm -hmm. of time, I guess. And there are some accounts which are, I think they are, they, their owners are not uh, in the country. They are elsewhere. So they've, uh, they can share uh, memes, jokes and videos. And then um, if people uh, want, uh, they can share. But um, I don't think many people do that. Um, mm-hmm. It's not safe even to, to, to like the uh, posts. So... Um, the speed and the amount of um, uh, joke spreading is very different these days. Like uh, during pandemics, we had lots and lots of jokes and uh, we were not forced to stop joking. Now, um, I think we are. So can you say something about this this, um, moment of being stopped to forced to stop joking or stop to... um, well, I've got lost. Um, can you say something about what happened? Well, um, usually what happens is um, you just uh, get a call from um, the uh, police or whatsoever, and then um, there are different scenarios, and they are equally bad um, for students, for example who usually share a lot of jokes and for um, academics as well. It's, it's, it's just not safe. So um, sometimes we explicitly ask our students not to share anything just in case. Because uh, that's how people get sentenced. And um, the punishment um, is like 15 years in prison. Mm-hmm. So for a joke, yeah, right? So this yeah, that's something humorous. That's something, yeah. that's something we already had in our history, like um, uh, 
hundred a hundred years yes. ago, let's say, um, in Stalin's time, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's basically pretty much the same. This, but you told me there are some jokes, so people are sharing, but maybe not on social media, but well, they they everyday interactions yeah. or. They uh, like uh, jokes like uh, uh, demotivators or memes. Um, there was this one particular demotivator with two portraits, um, uh, Peter the Great and uh, Putin. And uh, every Russian knows the metaphoric description of Peter the Great as the person, the political leader who opened the window to Europe uh, for Russia. And this is the caption below the, his portrait. And um, another comment is, he closed the window to Europe below Putin's photo. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. the general comment of the demotivator is, uh, like, got some fresh air? No, that's enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, people joke um, about their everyday life, like uh, uh, the good news for those who did not have time or... Um, could not master the English language. Now you don't need to. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And that again shows that people feel disconnected from the rest of the world. And um, this is very frustrating. So they start joking about that. So the theme, so the theme that you describe is really the sort of cutting off. Yeah. So it's yeah. the political situation of being cut off yeah. from Europe and the rest of the world. Yeah. A lot of middle class yeah. people got used to traveling and um, seeing places, and you know, students had some ideas of you know continuing their education elsewhere in Europe, and now all those plans are ruined um, for good knows how many years. So. Um, yeah. And also people understand that um, this invasion is something that shouldn't have happened at all. And that um, all that propaganda telling us that there were Nazis in Ukraine, it's all lies. Yeah. Um, some people say that Russia should have a cupid on its national symbol since he's also naked, armed, and a co- <laughs> to everyone with his stupid love. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, this does bring me to the question of the functions of these sorts of grim jokes. Um, so why would people do this? So why would people tell such jokes even when it's obviously uh, dangerous? Kenya? Well, uh, well so why are... I would say that for many Russians, it's um, sort of a psychological defense. Um, a lot of people feel frustration and anger and uh, their inability to um, influence the um, somehow the... Uh, change the situation. So the only mechanism that remains is to joke. Um, I guess that's mm-hmm. what happened to people in back in, in the Soviet times. Um, we could not really influence the course of events, but um, there were so many jokes that, you know, our colleagues collected them and wrote books about them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I guess that's pretty much the same. Um, yeah. So what Xenia is referring to here, sorry for the for the listeners. So there actually is a very large body of literature on on Soviet jokes, 
um, which were supposed to be, well, which have a reputation of being very good and also being uh, very widely spread uh, and dealt specifically with this sort of um, situation and even also the sort of grim mood uh, that we're discussing here. So it's uh, disheartening, I would say that, so it's really a, the, like the most famous cause, I would say, of the famous corpus of jokes that has been studied very extensively, but it has been extensively studied mostly as something of the past mm -hmm. um, rather than something of the present. Uh, well, so famous and funny, but um, yeah. I'd say infamous, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, famous from an academic point of view. But yeah, very, yeah. yeah, and yeah. also there are lots of jokes that uh, refer back to Soviet times um, in terms of uh, this economic crisis that is unfolding. And um, mm -hmm. we do not know how bad um, it can get. And um, lots of people who uh, were nostalgic um, and they said nice things about the Soviet time. Now, okay, so guys, um, you can have it back. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Compliment what, what Ksenia has just said. Sorry for uh, for cutting in. Uh, a lot of jokes not only kind of refer to the jokes of Soviet times, but also are Soviet jokes. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a little bit adapted to the current time or just plain Soviet jokes? Uh, and this is one of the interesting things because... I have seen them being shared by people who obviously didn't uh, live uh, in the USSR and didn't witness these jokes being in oral circulation. Is it because these sharers are too young or is mm -hmm. it because they live in, uh, in the Western countries or both? Uh, but uh, I'm also wondering if they, are, um, if they have these Soviet connotations in this joke or they just funny them, find them funny as they are now. Do we have an example? Do you have examples of this? Yeah, I have an example in mind. Uh, for example, there is this joke about a man who comes uh, to the bookshop every day and he just looks at the new uh, daily newspapers, uh, but he only looks at the front pages. So he flips through the front pages of every uh, newspaper and leaves. And he comes one day and second day and the third day, the bookshop seller... Uh, asks him, like, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for an obituary. But an obituary wouldn't be even on the first page. He says, don't worry, the one I'm looking for will be. <laughs> so this joke was told as far as I know about Stalin and about Brezhnev, but obviously now uh, it's a joke about Putin that uh, has been shared yeah. by many people yeah. over the world. Yeah. Well, um, I can tell another joke. Um, an old Jew goes to the Red Square that's a Soviet joke. So he goes to the Red Square uh -huh. and throws out um, uh, absolutely clear sheets of paper around him. The uh, policemen come, arrest him and ask him, why are uh, the sheets of paper empty? Why, n why is nothing printed on them? And he says, well, why should I print anything? Isn't everything clear already? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and um, this joke um, was mentioned by several people when uh, when we saw a video of um, of a girl being arrested for holding a sheet of paper with asterisks instead of letters, um, um, a slogan "No to yeah, no yeah. to war." So no war. yeah, yeah, and um, that's why the joke, you know, 
sounds like a fresh one again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So people actually tell. So what happens? People people saw this and told this joke. Yeah. yeah which yeah, they remembered. Yeah. So okay. the the, yeah. the analogy is quite clear. You don't have to write anything. Everything is clear. You can easily guess yeah. what those asterisks stand for. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the poster for the listeners. I've seen the posters. It's basically a white piece of paper mm-hmm. with sort of, I think, three and yeah, then yeah. six That's, or so. Mm-hmm. So it's so meaning, meaning. So the one is no one, the one is yet, mm-hmm. which yeah, I think yeah. everybody no. knows. Mm-hmm. And the other is the Russian word for war, yeah. which I can't produce, but I think soon we yeah, yeah. will all know this. Uh, so it's very clear. And she was indeed arrested, right? Like many other people, for which is something that is a protest, but also. Um, well, it's not funny in itself, but it's also there's something of the sort of how it something remains unsaid. And there is this sort of moment, like in the joke that Nastya cited at the beginning, there's this sort of aha moment. So it's grim, mm-hmm. but it's also joke-like in structure, yeah. even though it's not a joke, because you're supposed to fill in the sort of gaps that people leave. So it's also, in a way, a very specific form of communication that resembles humor. So Nessie, I wanted to ask you about the functions of these jokes. And I think for you, I think it's actually two different types. So one is the, the Belarusian situation and the other is the Estonian situation, which I think will be more recognizable to people around the world. So what, why, why do people share these yes, forms I of humor? I feel like I'm yeah. sitting on the chairs on both sides of the front line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Uh, one thing that you've just mentioned, like filling in the gaps, is exactly the thing that humor does. Because uh, especially for people in Belarus, where they see this gap between the reality as they want it to be, as it should be, uh, Belarus, a neutral country, not participating in any wars, especially with its neighbors, uh, and the reality as it is, uh, missiles flying from the territory of Belarus and uh, threats coming that um, Belarusian military would be also involved uh, in the war. Uh, so this gap uh, between the real and the claim um, is something that uh, often gives birth to humor, as Christy Davis, for example, has written. Uh, but I think what also is very important, both for Belarusians as people um, who are against the war and being traumatized by it very close from, from a close-up perspective, and also from Estonians who are a little bit more dis- dif- distant, um, but still uh, feel it very acutely because... They share a border with Russian Federation. Uh, so um, this is a feeling of helplessness and the sudden loss of control. The world is no longer the place it used to be and you cannot do absolutely anything about it. Uh, so the jokes and memes and other forms of humor is basically the only thing uh, that you still can control, uh, that you still can make in a creative way. Uh, and uh, and while Making jokes and uh, sharing memes, uh, you feel that you're doing something meaningful and therefore uh, you do not um, fall into depression, as Xenia has said. And moreover, there is another uh, theory of humor, the superiority theory, that um, in order to feel good, you have to ridicule your enemies. And that's precisely what is done. There is a lot of There are a lot of jokes about... Uh, stupid Putin and uh, cowardly uh, and inept Russian army. Um, And many of these jokes are also shared by the Ukrainians. I don't know if 
a lot of them uh, get into the Russian public sphere, but Belarusians share a lot of these jokes that were originally <laughs> written by the Ukrainians in the Ukrainian language because the languages are quite similar. Um, so yes, this is something that, uh, that is also important to consider when we look at the jokes. Yeah, so we actually, so I think this is one of the miracles of, of humor, and I've been studying it for a long time, actually, the, the enormous number of different functions that it can have. So it can help you to cope yeah. uh, and to sort of maintain control. It helps you to um, share with other people. It can work to attack um, the enemy, whoever you think the enemy is. Um, so they're actually, and so in some of the functions, actually, even though the forms that you discuss are very different, the functions tend to be the same kind of things. So trying to, to keep a grip on things, um, trying to distance yourself from things, also attacking the person that you don't like in a subtle way. I think one other function that I think is a little implicit in what you've said, but I, which I think is usually important is, of course, that you share it, right? Uh, so maybe can you say something about the sort of, uh, solidarity or sharing that comes with with humor maybe Xenia well um I'd say yes people um at least uh understand that they're not alone with their feelings and um emotions and their helplessness and that helps a little bit um because um uh, if you um, watch official channels or read official sources um, online or newspapers, whatever, um, you might get the feeling that um, uh, you are alone with your opinion and your evaluation of the events. Well, if you turn off the TV, which is a useful thing, uh, <laughs> then um, and if you find the right you know, channels... Uh, on social media, um, then you can see how many people uh, are subscribed to those channels and how many people see these jokes and you understand that you're not alone, which is which is actually good. Um, and um, especially in the time when you have to use lots of euphemisms, uh, seeing that someone has the courage to say the right thing and um, call the right names, then... Um, uh, yes, you feel a lot better. You feel a lot better. Yes. So I think this is a beautiful way of putting it, that humor is a way of discovering that you're not alone. I think that's, uh, that's even yeah. bigger than solidarity. I well, think that's quite... Actually, that, that function uh, was probably the main when we had that pandemic thing and we, uh, we were uh, like trapped in our houses and then lots of humor came in and we felt that we are still united. We are not, we were not alone. And um, it's basically the same here, only probably the scale is smaller due to censorship. Yeah. Yes, I think it's, it's really important. I, I totally agree with what Xenia has said. And I would say that uh, people understand this uh, importance of being together and sharing the same values. And they also juxtapose it um, with their enemies' loneliness. Just look at these jokes about Putin and his long table. Yeah. He's sitting there at the head of the table all alone, and we are all here uh, enjoying yeah. the jokes about yeah. him uh, being so stupid. So this is how humor also divides people into in-group and out-group. Uh, those who understand the joke and appreciate it and share the values that are embedded in the jokes, and those who do not. Yeah. 
I think it's interesting. I think the image of Putin in his big table, I think has become so very quickly iconic. And it's very interesting. So apart from being, of course, a bit ridiculous because the table is so huge and the distance is so big, I think there is many ways that you can read it. And I think this is, I think it has become a very an instant meme. Mm-hmm. I think definitely on the sort of our side, but Xenia is nodding too. So obviously you also know this. So I think this is one of the images that has be, has become memeified, mm-hmm. right? On both sides of, uh, of and everywhere. So, so do you have examples, Xenia? Because I know you mentioned it before of where you have seen. Um, well, actually, the 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 first uh, was the official uh, photo of uh, Putin sitting um, at a distance from the ministers, and then it was you know uh, modified and um, uh, the table became longer and longer with each <laughs> modification. <laughs> Now, yeah, yeah, he's um, he's uh, he's all alone um, as a political leader. Yeah, that what the, mm-hmm. that's what the meme says. Also, and he's so indeed he's very alone, but also a bit ridiculous, right? In being so eager to distance himself from everybody else. But I think the pictures I've seen also from Russia include people ice skating on the table. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think you've seen it lots of lots of Olympic sports Mm -hmm. like curling being performed Mm -hmm. on this gigantic white table Uh, so I think it's been uh, uh, effective that way too Um, so uh, the other thing I want to ask you or talk with you about is the potential of humor to uh, be critical so because actually what we're talking about is not only humor that is about coping, but also about humor as its potential to be satirical and to provide a social critique. So apart from the functions that it has for persons and making themselves better and to finding allies, um, have you seen humor that has this satirical function of, of poking fun at someone or at sort of, uh, critiquing specific um, Things and what sort of satire have you seen, if at all? Xenia? Well, um, I'd say uh, people now understand that um, this um, special operation um, is bringing a lot of um, economic problems for Russians. And um, um, a lot of companies have been leaving Russian markets and uh, we are facing... Um, prices that that are rocketing and people understand that this um is something that comes into their life and um so again um the situation is compared to the one we had back in 1990s and um Mm -hmm. well some people criticize companies for living and they say like uh jokes like uh, covid 19 withdraws its viruses and terminates all its activities in Russia, and um, <laughs> um, and then uh, there is a joke about uh, using um, old things like pagers or uh, instead of mo- modern gadgets um, and creating, you know, rechargeable batteries from potatoes. And 
uh, using sticks and stones for fashionable interior designs instead of um, IKEA furniture, stuff like that. So um, mm-hmm. this is definitely a social critique of um, the external policy, which makes our internal life a lot more difficult. Yeah. And um, well, mm-hmm. also um, another uh, target of criticism is the uh, Russian Orthodox Church which amazingly keeps silence these days. They do not make any claims, they do not comment on the events. And so um, uh, there is this joke, Russia has dropped Orthodox Christianity and and has adopted television as a religion. so propaganda is ridiculed. And- it's not just the Orthodox Church that is, that is ridiculed. Uh, for example, a couple of days ago, I received um, from my from one of my Belarusian friends uh, the following joke. The official representative of Vatican has, con- uh, has confirmed uh, that God stopped operating on the territory of Russia. Okay. And this mimics this official, <laughs> okay. you know, official communiques that uh, foreign companies make that we have stopped operating on the territory of Russia. Um, but I think in this case, it is not the critique of these companies, even though it's, yeah, uh, the format is similar, but uh, rather the critique of the church's position. Uh, and this conflict. And also in Belarus, uh, there are a lot of jokes that are ridiculing both Russian and Belarusian authorities um, who have caused this war. And for example, uh, in Belarus, in, in the official Belarusian news, which are the same more or less as Russian propaganda, uh, the officials cre- uh, often express their concerns about things like sanctions or accusations of Belarus help in Russia uh, or the departure of foreign ambassadors from Belarus. Uh, but as one of the popular news sat- uh, satirical groups um, has said they have never actually expressed any concerns about the fact that missiles are hitting Ukrainians and killing people from the territory of Belarus. Mm-hmm. So this kind of satire uh, is now flourishing. Yeah. And, well, definitely what is bad time for people, like war, is a good time for satire. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the beginning, actually. So that was the beginning of of this podcast uh and i had so the original idea was that usually the 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 belief is indeed that uh war and other things that are bad for people tend to be really good for satire um but so actually when i was preparing this i discovered that this is not necessarily true um uh, because so as xenia said at the beginning so it's not always the case that war leads to lots of uh humor so there is lots of humor in some places in Estonia, also in Belgium and the Netherlands, where I am. Uh, so the question that I, the sec, the final sort of things that I would like to discuss you of you two has to do with the limits of this sort of humor. So and that, I think there are two sorts of limits. So one is, as Xenia said before, so some things are just too serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is no joking in specific situations because people are doing different things. And then there is also... Uh, the humor that doesn't happen or the satire that doesn't happen because it is suppressed and it's just very difficult. So I first want to talk to you about um, these limitations on humor. Uh, So forms of censorship. And I think Sania already mentioned very practical ways so that it's very difficult because so many of the platforms that you used to have are not there. And I suppose the same goes for Belarus, but then there is also 
a, a real danger in, in uh, using humor of these days, right? So maybe can you say something about how that works? Because Xenia, I have to tell, so for, I think for many of the listeners, this sounds like something that is so, so hard to wrap your head around that, you know, not even that you can be on a social media platform, but also that joking would be dangerous or somehow risky. So can you say something about that? Well, I guess uh, it is risky to joke about the actions of the Russian army. Um, mm -hmm. because there is this image of this victorious and glorious um, mechanism that can conquer any territory. And um, apparently it doesn't work that well. So um, mm -hmm. um, I know that there are uh, many jokes that come uh, from Ukraine and um Uh, they are definitely censored here. So uh, we don't get much news mm -hmm. about the um, um, real events and the actions of the Russian army, but uh, you don't want to joke about it yeah. uh, because it's not safe. And then, um, again, people feel guilt and shame. Lots of people feel guilt and shame. Not all people support that um, um, aggression. And um, if you get, uh, along with this feeling, if you get all those uh, jokes that kind of humiliate your army, you get even more depressed, I guess. So people try to avoid those jokes. They can joke mm -hmm. about econ economics, they can joke about politicians, but they, um, they don't want to hear jokes about their army. Yeah, I would say that, uh, well, maybe uh, because... Uh, The situation, the Belarusian position is a little bit different than, than Russia's in this particular conflict and also in general, because Belarusians have been put into jail for telling jokes for already two years after the protests in 2020. So we are kind of used to it, uh, as grim as it may sound. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But another thing is that, uh, well, um, Facebook, Twitter and other popular social media platforms haven't been banned in Belarus so far. Uh, so jokes do proliferate there. Uh, and uh, finally, um, <laughs> I think uh, the, uh, the worse the things go for Russian army, uh, the better the Belarusians uh, <laughs> feel in a way because uh, they don't really want this war. Uh, so there are a lot of jokes about um, uh, Russian army, but uh, I would say that uh, there are probably less jokes Uh, about the atrocities, um, and uh, or especially uh, when the um, uh, civil people are involved. And there, there were jokes uh, after the maternity hospital bombing uh, in Mariupol, for example. But these were quite grim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, for example, um, after the bombing when uh, Russian um, Minister of International Relations, Lavrov, said that yeah. the bombed maternity hospital was used by the Azov soldiers, the, uh, one of the uh, Ukrainian uh, division soldiers. Um, one of uh, satirical news channels in Belarus um, reacted that, uh, yes, only that these soldiers haven't been born yet. Um, so these sort of jokes uh, can provoke controversies. Uh, and even the loyal readers or followers of this um, social media accounts and, and friends of, of the people who make these jokes 
might find these jokes a little bit too taboo and off uh, color. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, in order to, not to alienate um, your in-group, uh, people tend not to make these jokes. Yeah, that's too often. Yeah. Well, um, maybe just one more fact. Um, several top stand-up comedians have left Russia in the past uh, yeah. two, two weeks. That also is a sign that humor becomes um, a dangerous profession. Two things, of course, that are striking about it. The obvious thing is that even despite the danger, and I think this also echoes again what we know about earlier also Soviet humor, is that despite the danger that people really do try to continue Mm -hmm. uh, sharing jokes. And I think that's a very, I think that's a very uh, telling fact about how important humor is for people. So despite so, and I think this, so the question I have for you is so, you already said it more or less, but so what is so important and so big about about humor that people do continue doing it even when it's so risky? Well, for Xenia? Well, maybe, maybe I will repeat that uh, it's this feeling that you're not alone. That's one thing. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to find some ground in this, you know, situation that was unthinkable even a month ago. So humor usually um, explains bizarre and absurd situations. So maybe this is the tool for coping for individuals and for um, social groups for keeping in touch. With each other yeah. and with reality. And with, with reality, yeah, especially with the reality, which yeah. is kind of, yeah. um, no. um, I would call it irreality. Anastia, what would you see? Why do people keep on... So it's actually, so for you also in Estonia, for us, I mean, joking is it's nice, right? It's easy, but it it's cheap. So it doesn't... <laughs> So it doesn't. Yes. Yeah. But but for for in Belarus also for your friends. So why do people continue? I would say that well in this particular situation, uh, ordinary people cannot really do much to influence the course of events. Uh, but they want to do something, and they want to do something constructive rather than destructive, because most of the people, they don't really want to be aggressive and destructive. They want to no. create, uh, and they want to inspire. And that's exactly what humor does. It's very inspiring, uh, no matter whether it is being used by the oppressed people, like people who are now in Russia or in Belarus, mm-hmm. or if it's being used uh, by the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky, for example, who also does use humor, even despite yeah. being in such a stressful situation. Uh, and yes, uh, of course, his background as a comedian probably helps. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it is very, very uh, inspiring when uh, one looks at him and watches his um, uh, talks uh, and uh, sees that he uses humor uh, and he manages to use it not only um not only very bitingly, but also skillfully. Uh, so this is uh, something that uh, that helps uh, the Ukrainians and also people uh, from around the world uh, to carry on the struggle on, on different kind of fronts, not only on the war front, but also in the, on the information front, because uh, <laughs> uh, information struggles are also going on. Uh, and I think humor is, is one of the best uh, tools and, me- and methods to... Um, to become 
attractive and inspiring in this kind of information yeah, struggle. Sort of, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a very good. I think that's a very good point. I think it's also very interesting that there seems to be like a fundamental sort of opposition in this war. Um, that that actually very much has to do also with the way that people present themselves and sort of in terms of a lot of information, like an overload of information on the Ukrainian side versus a controlling of information on the other side. And it's indeed telling that this overload of information tends to come with lots of joking information also from Ukraine. And Xenia, I'm not even sure how much of you saw this, but I think it's very, I mean, there is a sort of a spirited, creative sort of grim humor that's also very evident in many of the things that we see coming from Ukraine, not only from the president, who is very skillful at this, but also I think also all the jokes about the the sort of the meme of the Russian warship. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I know that. That yeah. it is so grim, grim as it may be. It's also, I mean, there's also some element of sort of in the constant repetition of this and apparently in the vulgarity, although... I don't speak Ukrainian, but I get the point. Mm -hmm. I think it's it works as it works as a joke. It works in the way that it connects people in this sort of constant reference that you can understand and sort of smile about even when it's really bad. So I think it's interesting. Also, the the use of humor also seems to be very central to the identity of the two parties, where one is sort of embracing humor in a sort of very big way. So you were the ones with all the information, but also with the ones with a sense of humor versus the other that is you know we are the ones that don't communicate and by the way we are the ones without a sense of humor so i think it's a very interesting uh, mirroring in the sort of um, opposing parties that we see here and zelensky is is quite again xenia i have no idea how much you see of this well, but I we think don't we don't see much of him at all i would say no <laughs> no no but i think it's it's really it's really interesting that the, the two personas that are opposed mm -hmm. are indeed personas of so as naskia said that have to do with you know with inspiration and 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 being funny in the in the face of versus someone who well doesn't really laugh right mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. Putin. Oh, no. So the final question I have for you about this is where the limits of humor are in the sense so when some things are not funny anymore. So there's the one limit of humor when you're when it's censored. Mm -hmm. But there is, of course, always all the part of humor. And I think this is what Xenia said at the beginning. So some things are just too serious yeah. to joke about. Uh, so where are the limits of humor right now? In, uh, well, I guess no one uh, would joke about, you know, people being killed and um, the country being destroyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This would be totally insane. I would say there are no limits uh, in a way that there are no universal limits. Uh, and these limits are very vague and shifting uh, in each particular case. Of course, it's inappropriate to joke about uh, the deaths and suffering when you are talking to the people who are undergoing it. Uh, and I wouldn't make such jokes with my Ukrainian friends. Uh, but on the other hand, um, there are a lot of people who do joke even about these grim uh, circumstances uh, with their anonymous Twitter audience, for example. Uh, and I think that um, it's also it also matters uh, who tells a joke about what. Uh, for example, there was this case when um, the part, some parts of Russian missile fell in front of uh, Vladimir Zelensky's summer house. 
Uh, and according to his press secretary, Vladimir Zelensky has commented on it, you've missed. Uh, and if it were some other Ukrainian family's house, that would be an off-color joke and it wouldn't be appreciated. But as it was his own house, uh, and he's known for being witty and humorous, uh, this particular phrase was very much appreciated and also shared by many people in Ukraine, but also elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is potentially no limit to humor. I would say so. I would say so. So what do you think, Senia? Well, yeah, I guess the uh, sufferings of ordinary people is no, no topic for humor. Um, even the blackest, the darkest humor. Like I said, my, my, my experience with uh, people who survived several wars shows that they never joked And um, they preferred not to talk about th those events, uh, even seriously. Um, as kids, we wanted to know something about the war and they wouldn't tell us because that was too painful. So I guess here is the limit, your pain, your pain inside of you. Which may well happen also in this war, right? Mm -hmm. After this war. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we may be in, maybe even two years from now, we may be in the same situation. Difficult times, people, even though we are laughing. Yeah. This is a strange conversation, I must say. Um, so as we're nearing the end, I want to say again that this was a special episode of this podcast, which was originally started to talk about um, inequalities in culture um, for students during a health crisis. And now we find ourselves in a different kind of crisis where we are, again, uh, feeling alone and isolated um, and cut off from the academic community, but also uh, scared, I suppose, many of us. But especially, interestingly, in this moment of, of fear and confusion, I think humor has become remarkably important for a lot of people. And I think this is something that I wanted to bring out. And I think that really came out very closely in this conversation that although we are speaking from very different perspectives, humor has become important for us, as Senia so nicely said, because it tells us that we are not alone. And I think that is a beautiful insight in a bad time. Uh, so before I start and thank you, I want to ask you, which is the way that we always end this, so what of this conversation will stay with you for the next week? So what will you keep thinking about that we discussed after this for the days to come? And maybe Xenia first? Well, um, firstly, I'm very grateful for for being invited to this talk. This is really important. Um, I guess uh, lots of Russian scholars um, feel their isolation right now. And um, it's not their direct fault that events take this, this course. Um, and um, I'll be thinking about uh, the limits of humor, of course, and um, hopefully the situation will get better and um, we will have other reasons to laugh at. Yes, thank you. So, Nastya, what will stay with you? Uh, I think that the thing that will stay with me and that uh, always stays with me at the times like this uh, is that we shouldn't just dismiss humor as something trivial. Uh, because uh, it does have a lot of functions. 
starting from the coping strategy and going up till the feeling of being not alone and, and sharing values with people from around the world. Uh, and when we just share a joke, uh, tell it to a friend or click on a meme and send it via WhatsApp, WhatsApp uh, we shouldn't just think of it uh, as a very everyday and, and meaningless activity, uh, but rather reflect on it uh, in, the more, in a more general cultural context and what it means, um, not just for us, uh, but also for, for the societies that are affected by this war in all the different ways. Thank you. Yeah, so finally, what I can't let go um, after this conversation, first of all, uh, let me say that, that I found this conversation very moving. Uh, and very important. Um, it was very strange. So I usually don't talk about uh, the context of the podcast, but I think this has been a very strange moment because this is me sitting in Leuven with the, which you may have heard the bells. So the music of the bells in Leuven, talking to someone who is in Russia and someone who is in Estonia, um, keeping alive also the spirit of trying to understand what happens in the world around us, even when things are Strange, and I think for me, and I think for all three of us, humor always and for a long time has been something that we've been trying to understand because it tells us so much about humanity, about how people function and how people are looking for others, how people are trying to connect with others. Um, and I think this is also is something that, that I cherish in this conversation, that we've been talking about this unique human feature of trying to find humor and to laugh as a way of making sense of the world and also as a way of finding, which is something that I will not forget, of reminding yourself, finding out that you're not alone as long as you're able to laugh with other people who share your perspective on the world, even when the world is very grim. Uh, so I want to thank both of you very, very much for this conversation. Please stay well, stay safe. Especially you, Xenia, I have to say. Stay safe. Thank you oh, so sorry. much for joining us because I know this was very, very brave of you um, in a way that I think is easy for us to overlook. Uh, so please do stay safe. Uh, I hope I will try to make a few more podcasts also with, uh, with scholars working in Russia right now. Uh, because I think it's important. But for now, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank everybody for listening and stay tuned for more podcasts, either about culture and ideology or maybe just about wars. <laughs>